Welcome to this episode of The Missing Link for Fresh SLPs. This is another great episode in the series of a school-based SLP. And we're going to be talking with somebody who is working and thriving in one of Utah's largest school systems. But before we jump into that, I just want to touch base on why we're even doing this series. A lot of people have asked, what is the idea behind Fresh SLP? And I used to say it's for new and transitioning SLPs, right? Not a lot of people really connect with that new piece anymore. Well, I'm six months out, I'm no longer new. Well, I'm six years out, I'm no longer new. Fresh SLP, the missing link for SLPs, is all about making connections and staying fresh. So that means you're connecting or listening to podcasts of SLPs who are way outside of anything you've ever thought of doing. And you've got these great, fresh, new ideas. It also means connecting with SLPs who are doing just what you're doing and you so vibe with them and you resonate and you're like, ah, this is what I do and why I'm doing it. So that is why we have these stories on the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. This whole series is to introduce you to what school-based SLPs do and really think outside the box on this because our guests, they live, work, dwell, create outside the box. So with that being said, I'm glad you're here. Tonight's episode is with Stacey Ritchie. This is episode, I think, 118. And let me introduce you to Stacey. She has been in SLP in Utah's public schools for the past 10 and a half years. Her caseload size has ranged from 45 to 92 students in preschool to sixth grades, so she knows how hard it can be to see and plan for all of them. She has worked for two different districts in five different schools, and when she's not doing five-minute articulation therapy, which is on her TPT site, she loves using themes in literacy. She has worked with special education preschool units, small group kindergarten classes, and units with kiddos with autism. She loves treating articulation, phonological disorders, and early language skills. When she's not working, she loves baking, doing jigsaw puzzles, and watching movies. Playing sports is also a great fun of hers. She and her husband have been married for almost 12 years and have a five-year-old little girl. Stacy created a, a store on Teachers Pay Teachers two years ago so she can help SLPs like you listeners be more confident and learn to enjoy group therapy. So a big welcome to Stacy Ritchie. Welcome, Stacy Ritchie, to A Day in the Life of a School-Based SLP podcast series. We are so glad you are here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, yes. My name's Katie Weitz from Landgraf. I'm also a school-based SLP, and so I'm really looking forward to hearing about your experiences and your journey and maybe some of the things that delight you and some of the things that you find a little challenging. So let's get right down to it, okay? Sounds great. All right. So Stacy, I'd like to start uh, by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically about your journey that led you to becoming a school-based SLP. That's a really good question. I grew up with a little brother who actually needed speech therapy. And so my mom watched him growing up, going through therapy and how much of a difference they made in his life and being able to read. And she always told me, oh, you'll be a great speech therapist. And all I knew was 
it was boring. I sat there while my brother went to a back room and worked on speech. Like I had no idea what it was. And so I actually started on the path to be a math teacher and then switched and decided to go into exercise science for physical therapy and then came to the light and found speech therapy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's wonderful. So how did you end up specifically in a school setting? Honestly, I, I love working with kids. I've always wanted to help people again, like with being a math teacher or a physical therapist, just, I wanted to help people, but I'm not big on blood and bodily fluids. (laughs) And so I kind of always knew going into this field that I'd want to be working with kids and my externship in a specialty hospital definitely showed that that was the right decision for me. (laughs) So you knew out of the gate, you're like, I am heading to the school setting and working with kids. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your specific setting right now? Kind of walk us through a day in your life, if you will. Perfect. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Right now, my setting, I work part-time, but I have a full-time CF at my school. And we have a preschool special ed unit, so that's moderate to severe disabilities, and then the gen ed population. And then we actually just got two new autistic units, a first through third grade and a fourth through sixth grade unit. So they've definitely kept me on my toes this year. (laughs) But it's been fun. I love working with all these different populations. And I had a behavior unit last year that isn't there this year. So I just, it's kind of fun to see and have all these different experiences with all these different kids. So Stacy, can you talk to us a little bit more about what you mean by a unit when you're talking about different units? What does that mean? Are those classrooms? Are those uh, populations of students? Could you talk more about what that means a little bit? Sure. Yeah, so a unit is basically just a class that they have to qualify for. We have different levels of of disability in our district, and one of them is more the regular gen ed, lots of tuition students, and a handful of like mild speech disorder kind of population. And then we have the more severe unit who have a lot more higher needs and a lot more need a lot more one on one therapy. And like the autistic units, they most of them are actually eligible for classification under autism. And so they are put in these classrooms because they are specialized to help with those sensory needs and to help with different accommodations, things like that, that are more typical for that autistic population. Okay. So Stacy, do you work in a larger school, smaller school? Do you travel to different schools? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually, I've been really lucky the last several years. I've worked just at one school, which doesn't always happen, but they're working in Utah. We have so many kids who have speech therapy that it's pretty common for speech therapists, especially if they're full-time to just be at one school. So my very first school, I had 92 kids on my caseload. That was my CF year, which, oh my gosh, it was awful. (laughs) But it got better. It got so much better after that year. I did have a technician that year that helped me, a speech person who graduated with a bachelor's degree in speech therapy. So she helped me all the time. And right now my school has about 550, 600 kids. So not huge, but not tiny either. But there are schools next to me that have 1200 students. So 
I'm really lucky that I'm at a moderately sized school, which is why they tend to just put the units at my school because they have empty classrooms. So I get to have the fun experience with all of them. Wow. So when you talked about having um, an an assistant, I think you used the word technician. And uh, here in Minnesota, I think we call those folks speech language pathology assistants. Uh, And did you find that that was uh, helpful that very first year, just kind of having a second set of hands to write passes and help coordinate getting kids with a caseload of 92? Yes, it was so helpful that first year, especially because she had been there the last couple years before. So she knew all the kids. So she knew kind of what worked with them. So she had some experience. She knew where all the teachers were. She knew, I mean, she had a relationship with the teachers and she did the scheduling for me, which was fantastic. <laughs> I didn't even have to do it. So yes, wow. it was a big help. And yes, they're basically like the SLPAs that you were talking about. Okay. So- so can you talk us through a typical day when you go into work? Kind of how does your day start? How does the day progress? Kind of help us help us see a day in your life. Sure. So right now I get to work about 830. My contract hours are 830 to 4. And if I don't have an IEP scheduled in the morning, what I usually do is I spend the time pulling out the data sheets for the kids that day, just to kind of wrap my head around who I'm going to see today, or at least for the first half of the day. And then sometimes around the middle of the day, like lunchtime, that's when I pull out the afternoon kids just to kind of segment my day so that I'm not thinking too far ahead, because then I'm not focusing on the kids that I'm working with now. And sometimes that gets kind of distracting. So I get to work, I do that. And then if I have time, I'll maybe plan a little bit more kind of get an idea in my head of what I'm going to do, or if I need to try and rearrange my schedule a little bit to try and get like a student tested in there somewhere. And the kids arrive at 9.15. So I have about 45 minutes first thing in the morning. Sometimes I collaborate with teachers if I have some time. So the students arrive at 9.15 and then I start working with my younger autistic class. Um, My CF and I go in together and we pull the kids I want to do push-in therapy, but right now just with scheduling and just with how the kids are, we, we have to pull them out into my room. So we see them in groups of three with the two of us, which is pretty manageable. And we do that through the morning and we see all those kids through the morning. And then we have lunch, which is awesome. Always schedule a lunch break. That is my, one of my biggest tips and take it. <laughs> Don't just That's schedule huge. it, work through it. No, that doesn't count. Take some time to reset that brain because at least for me, that's when I burn out the most is when I've caught myself not taking my break during the day. You bring up a really interesting subject, I think, and that's the subject of burnout. I do think that especially when you have a higher caseload, sometimes the there is a tendency to schedule students instead of taking breaks. But there's also a concern with that. Can you talk about uh, the importance of holding uh, time for yourself during the day? And what do you do when you start to feel a little overwhelmed or how do you recharge those kinds of things? Yeah, it has taken me a few years to figure out some of these tricks. I've been in the schools for about 10 and a half, almost 11 years And one of the things that somebody told me was to take that lunch break. And it's, especially if you stay in your room all day, 
leave your room, walk around the school, go talk to a teacher, just leave your room for a little bit. You can go on a walk outside. You can listen to something. Just try and not do anything for like 15 minutes. For me, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to scroll on Instagram. But then I'm scrolling through speech content. And it's like, no, 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 no. I need a total break (laughs) from speech content. So yeah. So sometimes I'll eat lunch in the faculty room. Sometimes it's great for collaborating and then they feel like they can come to you. But sometimes I just need quiet. (laughs) So I will literally just lock myself in my room, like turn off the lights and just kind of, you know, veg watch a show on Netflix for 10, 15 minutes, you know, just to kind of recharge and just kind of take, take some time for me. It's interesting you say that. I actually have a really similar plan for my lunchtime where I will intentionally not be on my computer because it's too tempting to, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to respond to this email quick, or I'm just going to log this note while I eat an apple. And so I will (laughs) shut the laptop pick up my phone or pick up a book, something that is like dedicated to engaging me or just something I want to do for fun. And I think that is a really important added component because the working lunch is not a break. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a great (laughs) point, Stacey. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite aspects of your job? What do you like best? What delights you? Oh, the kids. (laughs) Easiest answer is the kids. And there, there are so many joys from this job. I mean, we talk about the pains, the challenges, the paperwork, the scheduling, all that stuff, but these kids make it so worth it to me. I mean, helping these kids communicate, helping them, watching their self-confidence grow. Like I had a student who was really shy, had a lot of sound errors in about second grade. And by sixth grade, she was just finishing up her R and she was auditioning for place to be like the lead in a play. It was awesome to watch. (laughs) Just that self-confidence, that boost. And it's just, it's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Now you did mention challenges. There are some, I would imagine, (laughs) What is one that comes to mind that you just kind of maybe would like to mention? Well, yeah, there are always several challenges, especially the more you think about it and just being okay with things not being perfect. You know, a lot of us, I feel like are kind of type A and just being like, you know what, this is as good as it's going to get today and just being okay with it. But going along with that, just, I feel like I don't love having to know a little bit of everything but not being really good at any one thing. You know, I have to know about autism. I have to know about phonological disorders and all the different processes and how to work on them and our tick and just, it's a lot. And then I get a new set of all these disorders that I've never even heard of before that come up and it's just like, oh, well, I guess I get to do some more research because I don't know how to work with you. So that's probably one of my biggest challenges is not really being able to to specialize into anything that I would like to. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I have a couple of other questions for you. Uh, When I think about the schools uh, and I think about how you talked about your caseload numbers kind of swinging wildly, I think specifically about workload. And I'm wondering about uh, how you personally manage workload 
And what are some things that have maybe helped you with the management of workload? That's a really good question. So my district does a three to one model where we see kids for therapy for three weeks. And then we have a week of that we call like the indirect week or the collaboration week. And that week is dedicated specifically to holding IEP meetings, collaborating with teachers, catching up on paperwork, getting those referrals done and tested, things like that, catching up with parents. And so I feel like for me, if I can hold off on that paperwork, I literally save it for that week because it's like, you know what? It'll still be there. I still have time to get it done. I'm going to focus solely on my kids for three weeks and then I can lock my door and just work on my paperwork for a week. And if you think about it, sometimes it was like, oh, do these kids still make progress? You know, some of these kids need that consistency. And yes, some of them do. Some of them do need all four weeks. But Ashley has actually done some research and shown that even with that break, kids even made more gains because they had that week off from speech. And I it's it's amazing. And I think you you make a really good point that a, a week off from direct services with the SLP is not a week off for the SLP. There's so many things that you're doing in that one week. And I think being able to spend time with teachers in the classroom setting and being able to make those contacts with parents and having some time built in to do that uh, would be really amazing. Uh, We also have a 3-1 model where I work. And one of the things that sometimes happens is that the kids that were missed during the three spill over into the one. Uh, So I I do like that idea of having that flexibility though. And it's built in time for those makeup sessions. So if you're ever sick, you literally have a day you can make it up. Right. Right. Yes. So when you think about scheduling. You talked a little bit about scheduling your first year. Do you have any specific tips or tricks or advice with regard to scheduling? That is something that's been coming up in our conversations. And I'm just wondering what your experiences and thoughts are with scheduling. Oh, scheduling's a doozy. (laughs) I know. It constantly (laughs) changes. I have my schedule down and I have it memorized for about three weeks and then it changes again. (laughs) So just know it's going to change um, don't, don't get too excited with it because it probably won't work for longer than a week. But for me, my biggest thing is I schedule my units first. So I schedule those, that preschool class and those autistic classes first. And I do big bulks of time, big bunches of time. So my preschool kids are all day, Tuesdays and Fridays, except for maybe like a half an hour where I go see some of my Arctic kids or gen ed kids. But it's literally all day preschool push in. I'm in there doing group lessons, individual, just helping out, just always there. And then this year with uh, my autistic classes, I've got, I talked about kind of my morning schedule. So I see the, the younger kids in the morning and then the afternoon, I see the older kids, the fourth through sixth grade. And then I kind of end the day with some of those five minute kids. So I schedule those unit kids in blocks just because They always take longer than they're supposed to, you know, just, but I want to be able to be flexible because sometimes the kid's upset. And so you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll just go grab this other kid. And so that just kind of helps me be flexible and being able to still work with those kids as they need it. And so that was my first tip. I fit in the units first and I do big blocks of time. (laughs) My second step that I do 
is I look at the kids that are only there for half a day. So if you have a half day kindergarten, they go next because they are really tricky to schedule. But if you have all day kindergarten, you don't have to worry about that one quite so much. <laughs> so then I look at the other, um, I look at the other related servers. So occupational therapy, they're only there on Wednesdays and adaptive PE is only there on Thursdays. So I try to not schedule those kids on those days so that I have one less thing to worry about if they change their schedule on me. And then I kind of just squeeze in all the rest of the gen ed kids. I ask the teachers, hey, what are some great times and days to work with these kids? I try to do the best that I can. And if I just can't find a spot for them, I literally walk my schedule up to my teacher and say, hey, is there any spot in here that I can fit them? You know, these kids, like I cannot move these kids. Is there somewhere we can try and work this out and get it? figured out. And usually the teachers are like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> no wonder why you have such a hard time getting the time that I prefer because there's just so many other kids that I'm also trying to fit in. Yeah. I, th I think that is something that is a shared experience. It's the worst game of Tetris ever. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think speech language pathologists building their schedules in the schools is really it's something. I, I've been doing this for over 20 years. I still do my schedule in pencil mm -hmm. and I have the rectangle, like chunky block eraser ready to go so that I could do that flip-flopping at any moment. <laughs> so um, I think that helps. I think that helps people kind of have some insight into how everything works. I did want to clarify. So what is the age range? You had mentioned sixth graders and then you mentioned kindergartners. Are you seeing K through six? Yes. My school has the preschool unit and then I see K through sixth grade. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty expansive group of kiddos. So, and so are you finding that you like seeing that much of an age range? Do you wish you could narrow the focus a bit more? Do you wish it was a wider range? What are your thoughts about sort of that range that you're currently working with? Well, personally, kids over the age of 12 scared me. <laughs> so if I got put in a middle school or high school setting, I would just panic all day long. <laughs> so I am okay with preschool through sixth grade. My favorite ages, though, are preschool through second grade. That's probably where my heart is, the early language skills, and they make the most progress, and they love speech and all that. And I mean, I do love seeing my older kids, especially when I've had them for years. Like if I've had them since first grade, and now they're in sixth grade, and they're getting out before they go into junior high, like being able to watch them progress over the years is awesome. And I mean, it just, it does, it's different as they get older, obviously, the different challenges and things, but I do kind of like that range. It's, it breaks up the day a little bit more, but that is one of the other reasons why I chunk my kids where I don't want to see preschoolers and then have to go see a sixth grader because then I'm like, let's do this. And my sixth graders look at me like I'm crazy because I just worked with preschool and that's the excitement level I had to use with them. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you think about who may be listening to our podcast, we have a lot of individuals who are getting ready to enter the profession. We may also have some speech language pathologists who are thinking about career changes. If you had one piece of advice for people looking at working in the schools, what would you most want them to know? 
Ooh, that's a really good question. So I've actually supervised some grad students and I've had a handful of clinical fellows. And one of the things I tell them just starting out is pick one thing a year to focus on. So your first year, you're going to try and focus on understanding the caseload and paperwork, right? You're going to try and get that paperwork down. The second year, maybe you'll choose on choose to work on planning therapy better or trying to contact parents a little bit more or trying to get your schedule more under control, things like that. And just by focusing on that one thing, it doesn't seem quite so overwhelming. You know, it's, I am focused on this and my therapy will get better as I go on. It's not great right now, but I'm, I really need to get this figured out. And that's not to say like totally forget doing good therapy, but you can't do everything at once. It's way too much. And that would also lead to burnout and imposter syndrome and just feeling like you can't do it. So just pick one thing to work on. I think that's great advice, not just for folks considering a transition, but for all of us who have maybe even been doing this for a while. I feel like you're talking to me, Stacey. Thank you. Uh, I do agree that having a feeling of manageability is incredibly important. And, you know, when you spoke to that idea of being okay with everything not being perfect and choosing one thing, a couple of things at a time that you want to focus on versus trying to get all of the things just right, right away. Uh, I think that's incredibly helpful. So thank you for telling us that. You're welcome. I mean, it's totally impossible. You can't be perfect at all of it at once. I mean, I don't think that's even possible for anybody. (laughs) And it's helpful to hear it, Stacey. (laughs) Okay. So I do want to know, What is your big why? When you think about what keeps you coming back year after year, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What is your big why? Why do you keep working with this population and working within this setting? I love working with kids. They are so fun and they honestly say some of the funniest things. Like I keep a notebook. If you're going (laughs) to, if you're working in the schools, keep a notebook of all the funny things they say. Keep anything that they give you cards, things like that. So when you are feeling down, you've got this set of things to look at. I love working with the grad students and CFs. I love being a supervisor because they come and you guys are so excited to be there. And it reminds me of my excitement that I had 10 years ago. And I just, if I'm starting to feel kind of run down, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I am making a difference and they help me see that. And I love that. And I also love creating resources for teachers, pay teachers uh, with my store, my Stacy Ritchie SLP. And I love creating these resources to help make your lives easier and my life easier. I just, I've been in those schools and I know that there's like zero time to plan and you always have a mixed group that you just can't split no matter what you try. And just trying to tailor an activity to fit everybody, like that is seriously my goal with a lot of my resources is I want to be able to pull out a binder and be able to work with just about any kid. (laughs) So that's basically what I try to do. And I love hearing stories of how something I've said or something I've posted on Instagram or one of my resources has really helped another SLP feel successful because that's the big thing is, you know, we all want to be successful SLPs. We want to help kids. We, we love them and we want them to feel it. And, but we also want to have fun, right? We don't want to get into the tedious monotony of everyday life, right? (laughs) 
Right. Uh, for our listeners, could you mention your Teachers Pay Teachers store one more time? Because yes. that sounds amazing, having activities that have lots of flexibility for lots of different types of students. Yes. So my Teachers Pay Teachers store is just my name, Stacy Richie SLP, and it's EY for both Stacy and Richie. That's awesome. Stacy, is there anything that you wished we had talked about that we didn't think to talk about in our conversation? That's a really good question. I guess there is one experience that I want to share that I had this week with a kid who he's in the autistic class and he's like a fourth or fifth grader. I've just been working on like joint attention and just making a connection with him because a lot of these kids are kind of in their own little world and I just want to be a part of it. You know, I, I wish I could see into his head because I really just want to know what he's thinking And he has an AAC device, but I've only ever really heard him kind of stim on food items. I haven't really heard him use it more purposefully, like in a conversation. And this week when we were playing with a farm and some farm animals, he picked up a cow. He looked me in the eye and said, moo. Like I seriously almost started crying. I was so excited that he made that golden eye contact. He looked at me. I didn't say look at me or anything. Uh, We were just playing and he took a moment and just looked at me, joined attention, showed me that cow and said, moo. And I just, I was excited. And it just, it's those little moments like that, that I always try to make sure I write down because there are times when you feel like you're not making a difference. But I mean, that was huge. He, he made that connection and I'm just really excited to go work with them again this next week. That was huge. I mean, yeah, that's that's like a goosebump story. <laughs> that's a really good way to explain it. A goosebump story. Yes. But I think you do want to hang on to the goosebump stories and those goosebump moments. And I love your idea of keeping a book or keeping a journal so that on those days where maybe the goosebump moments are not occurring, you can remind yourself. Yeah, there's some there's some great stuff happening. Mhm. Oh, uh, Stacy, thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing your thoughts and your insights and your ideas. We appreciate it so much. Well, thank you again for having me and always you guys are welcome to reach out to me on Instagram, things like that. I am happy to answer your questions and I go into a lot of detail on a lot of these things like using books and themes and therapy. So check it out. And I hope it'll save you guys some time and just your sanity. Thank you, Stacy. So you may have noticed that my voice was not in that conversation at all. That's because I'm doing the intros and the outros and I'm letting Kate and the guests that we have come on manage and dive deep into those school SLP conversations. I love the conversations that they're having and they're certainly not ones that I can manage because it's not my realm. So I hope you entered into that realm with the two of them. I hope you come join us for many more episodes on this series. Please reach out, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Apple, anywhere you're hearing your podcast. Let us know that you're you're enjoying what we're creating for you. Let us know you're out there because otherwise we are speaking into little green dots on our computer when the video's on, or maybe looking at each other during the Zoom. We would love to hear from you. Please like, share, 
Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Definitely find us on FreshSLP.com. And remember, you got this. We are your missing link for SLPs.